Yeah, these are the lessons, and that's what this is all about. Most of these stories are at least 3,000 years old, 2,500 years old, but we're studying these stories because this summer we're learning all kinds of life lessons. Well, I got to tell you that the king that we're going to be looking at today is my favorite Jewish king, especially in that era of time where Israel and Judah were separate kingdoms. And there are three lessons that we're going to pull from his life. And I think you'll see real quickly why this guy was my favorite among the kings. Ordinarily, when I share lessons in a story, uh, I'll give them to you one by one, and we'll have the first lesson, then midway through the second, and so on and so forth. But the reason why I want to give you these lessons together today is because they're all connected. In fact, I'm not really sure that we can reap the benefit of these lessons if we don't see them in a comprehensive or holistic way. So if you're into notes today, and I hope you are because these are huge, I want to share with you the three lessons that we learned from Hezekiah, and I really believe these are the three primary lessons of the Christian life. The first lesson that we learned is Hezekiah chose how he wanted to live. He chose the path that he was going to take. Secondly, he cleaned up the mess that was in his country and in his life. And then the third lesson is we're going to learn about navigating trouble. And the reason, just real quickly, why those go together is you know, when you, clean, when you choose how you want to live, you have a whole lot to change in your life, and that's where cleaning up the mess comes in. And you really can't travel the path you want to travel if there's a mess there. And then thirdly, we need to be prepared when trouble comes because trouble is going to come for all of us. And here's the thing about trouble. Trouble will always test your choice of a path. I mean, when you have trouble, what will matter is the path that you've chosen for your life. And so today we're going to look at those, and let's just start with the first one. Uh, Hezekiah chose the path that he wanted to take in life. Now, again, this is just, I won't know if I'll say this in the other services, but I'll say it for your benefit. There are several stories in the Bible of Hezekiah, and they're not just in one location. You'll find some of the stories in 2 Kings. You'll find other stories in 2 Chronicles, and actually, even in that large book, of Isaiah, there are actually some things about Hezekiah in there. But most of our time today is going to be spent in 2 Chronicles 29. So if you have a Bible or an electronic device with an app, you'll see how Hezekiah comes to the throne in verse 1. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah. He did that, which was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Over and over, when you study the kings, you'll discover that the Bible either says they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or they did that which was wrong or evil in the sight of the Lord. Hezekiah made his choice. He decided to do the things that would please God in his life. Now, I'll tell you why that stands out to me. If you were here two weeks ago, we had a sermon in which we talked about a guy who was a total mess. He was a king. His name was Ahaz. And we talked about three words, didn't we? We said he was a copycat, he was superficial, and ultimately he was stubborn. He was one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. He was such a bad king that when he died, the people didn't even bury him with the other kings. They let him be buried in the cemetery, but they wouldn't bury him with the kings. He just, he was, remember we said he was the king who didn't act like a king. He was so wicked that he actually burned a couple of his sons alive in the worship of a pagan god. Now, the reason why I bring him up today is Ahaz, that wicked king, was Hezekiah's dad. Now, when you look at Hezekiah coming to the throne at a time when things are so bad... His dad not only was a terrible king, he not only was a king who brought idolatry, and he wasn't only a king who kissed up to the big dog power that was about to arise, Assyria. Actually, at the end of his reign, Hezekiah's dad chained up the temple and didn't even allow people to worship anymore. I mean, we're talking about the epicenter of Judaism. We're talking about Jerusalem. 
We're talking about the place where God meets with his people. No other king, regardless of how wicked, ever chained up the temple so his own people couldn't worship. Wow. I just want to know right out of the box, how does one of the worst kings who ever reigned have for a son? Well, here's what the Bible says about Hezekiah. The Bible says nobody was like him beforehand. Nobody was like him after. Hey, that includes David. And so Hezekiah was so great, God said, he stands out. What I want to know is how does this standout godly king that we're going to learn about today, how does he come up in the home of one of the worst kings that Judah ever had? Hey, we get a clue. I left this out when I read verse 1 to you. Look at this. His mother was Abijah, and she was the daughter of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was his grandpa. What do we know about Zechariah? Well, Isaiah tells us later that Zechariah was a good man and an honest man. He was a godly man. We learn in another place that Zechariah had coached a previous king on how to follow God. Hey, Zechariah evidently didn't have too much influence on his son-in-law, but he said, maybe I can, maybe I can talk to my grandson. And, and some of you are like that here today. You're in a scenario where you're a grandparent, and although there's, there's only so much influence that you can, can bring forward in the life of your kids, who knows about the impact you could have on your grandkids? But there's something else. The Bible says his mother was Abijah. Abijah was queen. And it's interesting, her name means worshiper. Do you think about this? By contradistinction, her husband shut down worship. But evidently, Abijah was a worshiper. I think about some of you, because some of you are worshipers, but you're married to someone who isn't a worshiper. And you're wondering, what kind of influence can I have? And it appears that Queen Abijah, the worshiper, couldn't have that much influence on her husband because he was a jerk from the beginning, and he ended out a jerk. And yet, it's very clear that she taught her son to worship God. Now here's Hezekiah. When he comes to the throne, he's 25 years of age. And I should give you just a little bit, and I'm sorry for history lessons, but sometimes these king stories don't make sense unless you have a sense of what's going on. In week two, Jonathan told you about how Israel as a nation split. After Solomon, 10 of the tribes formed a nation that the Bible often refers to as Israel or Samaria. From the very beginning, these 10 tribes went off into idolatry. Their king was worried that they would get nostalgic and want to go back to Jerusalem to worship. And so they set up idol gods in Israel. If you study the history of Israel, they never had a good king. All their kings were bad. But in Judah, there was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Jerusalem was. From time to time, they would have a good king. But God had warned both kingdoms over and over with his prophets that if they didn't stop worshiping idols, he was going to allow them to go into captivity. If you're a Bible student, there's an important date to follow away, and that's the date 722 B.C. Because 722 B.C. is the date that the northern kingdom went into captivity, never to return. Hezekiah is starting his reign right at that time. He is in Judah, but the northern kingdom, piece by piece, chip by chip, is falling into captivity to the big dog, the world power, Assyria. And in Probably the first, oh, I guess six years of Hezekiah's reign, the northern kingdom's going to be completely gone. So 10 of the tribes of Israel are going to go off into captivity. The king of Assyria is going to repopulate that area with peoples from all nations, which is why there was the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' time. So Hezekiah is coming to the throne at this time. He's 25 years old. His dad was a terrible king. On top of that, Assyria is breathing down their necks. Hezekiah knows that as soon as Israel goes away, they're next. 
And I think about this, and maybe, maybe I'm going overboard here, but um, I just think about the fact that he became king at an embarrassing time. He was at his dad's funeral. I mean, how do you, how do you represent royalty at a funeral where your dad is being buried, but he was such an embarrassment to the nation that he can't even be buried with the other kings? My dad died five years ago. I preached, stood right there and preached his funeral right above his casket. And three days later, I went to South Texas and preached his funeral again down there. I hope you know that I mean this in the right, right way, but when I stood there and preached, I had a sense of the right kind of pride, not a sinful pride. But I was proud of my dad. I was proud of the way he lived his life. I was proud of the way he loved people. I was proud of the way that he sacrificed. But I think about poor Hezekiah. I mean, he's king and he's wearing regal robes and a crown. And yet how embarrassing is it if in the service for your dad, they're saying, you know what? We can't bury your daddy with the other kings. We're going to have to bury him over someplace else. Now, as he sits on the throne on his first day, he has a choice. He has a choice what kind of king he's going to be, what kind of man he's going to be, what kind of kingdom he's going to have. And here's the thing that I find really important for us as Americans today. His choice wasn't among several. It wasn't a multiple choice. It was just a choice between two. And it's interesting that when you study the Bible, almost all the choice setups in the Bible are between two. In the Garden of Eden, it was eat the fruit, don't eat the fruit. It was Cain's way of sacrificing versus Abel. It was people inside the ark, people outside the ark. It was Abraham saying to Lot, you pick your direction, I'll go the other way. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were were being faced with the fiery furnace, it was either bow or don't bow. For Daniel, it was pray or don't pray. There were two thieves on the cross who made opposite decisions. Hey, the choices as it relates to God isn't among five or six. It's either... I remember when I was a little kid in the summer back in the days when we didn't have air conditioning too much in the house, and I would be in and out of the house, and the screen door would slam back and forth, and I could hear my mother say, get in or out. (laughs) Can you all remember that? And that's what God is saying, in or out. Here's what Jesus said. This is in Matthew 7, verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide. For many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. Now, someone will say, well, I don't know if I dig that or not. I mean, it's like God is saying there's a broad way and it's going to hell and there's a narrow way. And I don't like the concept of narrowness. Take this into consideration. The reason it's narrow is there's only one door there and that's Jesus. There are lots of ways to go to hell. I mean, there are people who go to hell and they abuse substances and abuse people and there are people that, you know, they're just angry and bitter and mean and cruel. And on the other hand, there are nice people that money is their God. There are all kinds of ways to travel the road to hell. But there's only one way to go to heaven and that's through Jesus. And, And so the Bible is saying you have a choice to make. So I want to ask you today as we get ready to close out that first lesson, have you made your choice? You know, when you study the kings and the queens of the Bible, one of the things you're going to discover is a lot of them were back, they were wafflers. They said they wanted to worship God, but they really lived, they wanted to live life on their own terms. And so they would go back and forth. And Hezekiah, I love this, Hezekiah locked down and he made his choice. But then he found out what a lot of us have found out. You know, there are many of us here at New Spring, maybe here at New Spring or when you were a child or with your parents or with your friends in college or so somewhere along the line, you decided to follow Jesus and you made your choice and you were so happy and you were so excited because you've decided to follow Jesus and you go home though and it's a mess. 
You know, you go from inviting Jesus Christ into your life and you go home to a lot of dysfunction and a lot of mess. And that's what happened to Hezekiah. Man, 16 years of bad choices, it can, it can make a lot of mess. There were idols all over the country, idols everywhere. The Bible said people were worshiping idols under every green tree. The temple was closed and chained. There was a whole generation of young people that didn't even know about God. And the spiritual leaders, the guys who were, the people who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the country, they were a mess. When you, they hadn't even celebrated the Passover. That's unthinkable to the Jewish mind, even today. They, they hadn't celebrated the Passover. And Hezekiah said, and that's the picture of Jesus coming and dying on the cross. Hezekiah said, hey, we gotta, we're, we're, we're Jews. We're the people of God. We're the people of Jehovah God. we got to get back to celebrating the Passover. He didn't even have enough priests who were ceremonially prepared for the Passover. They had to celebrate it a month late. That's how bad it was. When Hezekiah was 25, he sat down on the throne for the first time. It was such a mess. But here's lesson number two. Hezekiah is determined to clean up the mess. I don't think we talk about this enough in church, do we? We talk about making a decision, and that's, that's great, because the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is to decide to invite Jesus Christ to become Lord and Savior. But what happens for a lot of us, we choose the path but we can't hardly travel the path because there's so much debris out there. We don't talk enough about cleaning up the mess. I'll give you an illustration. My favorite road in the world is K96 out here. That's because when this road was being laid and poured, I just dreamed of a church out here, a church building out here. So for that reason, I love K96. Every time I get on it, it makes me smile. I like traveling. I mean, K96 is an easy road to travel. You can drive 65, 70... I'm being recorded. <laughs> I love K96. But I just want to imagine something for a moment. Suppose you're out here on K96 and you're, you're going 65 miles an hour. And <laughs> there's a junk truck in front of you. I mean, tractor trailer just hauling junk. And all of a sudden, the back panel opens up. And all this debris and junk starts falling. All of a sudden, there's a refrigerator and a washer and a dryer and sofa and pieces of tables and chairs and junk everywhere. Now you're not driving 65 miles an hour, you're driving 15 miles an hour trying to navigate the junk. And sometimes you'll come to a complete stop. That just described the Christian life of many of us. We've chosen, we've decided to follow Jesus, but there's a mess. And even though we've got a good path, a wonderful path, an eternal path, we can't travel that path very well because there's so much junk in the, in the path. Well, like Hezekiah, it can seem daunting. And you know, here's something else that makes it complicated. Hezekiah could say, I didn't make this mess. My daddy made this mess. The nation made this mess. The priest made this. I mean, listen, if Hezekiah's looking for somebody to blame, he's got a whole legal pad full of reasons. And it could be that you would say, well, Mark, I have a mess. I, I have a substance problem, but then my you know, I just grew up in a family where that was fine. And so now here I am, and, and I've got this substance issue. I want to follow Jesus, but I drink too much, or I use too much, or use it all for that matter. And well, Mark, you just don't understand. I mean, it, it's a generational thing. My dad was an angry person. My, my grandfather was an angry person. And so, yeah, anger is just part of my life. I mean, here's the deal. If we have a mess in our lives that keeps us from traveling the path that God has led us to travel, there are always going to be people to blame. But here's the question. 
Do you want to let that stop you? Do you want to let that slow you down? What I love about Hezekiah is he said, we got to clean up the mess. Now, here's some beautiful stuff here today because um, Hezekiah leaves us a roadmap. He's going to show us three keys to cleaning up the mess. And, for all, and I have a mess to clean up in my life, and I think all of us do. So look at this. Here's the first thing he did. He, he made a painfully honest assessment. In 2 Chronicles 20, 29, verse 5, he basically says, our ancestors went wrong, and they lived badly before God. They discarded him, turned away from this house where we meet with God, and walked off. They boarded up the doors, turned out the lights, canceled all the acts of worship of the God of Israel, and because of that, God's anger, because of that, look at that, because of that, God's anger flared up, and he turned those people into a public exhibit of disaster, a moral history lesson. Look and read. If you and I are going to clean up the mess, it's essential that we're able to connect the dots. Sometimes we can be surrounded by a mess and it's like, I don't know how that happened. Man, Hezekiah, when you know, Sennacherib and the Assyrian army is out there on their border, they've already taken away the northern kingdom. They've got a mess spiritually in their hands. Spiritual leaders are not even following God and the people don't even know about God and the temple's all chained up. And they're in all this trouble and Hezekiah is saying, we need to connect the dots. We are here. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We are here because of choices. I'm not a real country and western fan, but I'll tell you, my favorite country and western song is by the late George Jones. It's called Choices. And every time I live it, hear it, it just, he talks about living and dying with the choices I've made. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. I mean, Hezekiah said, listen, we're here for a reason. Connect the dots. I mean, if you have a mess, it starts with making a painfully honest assessment. And then the second thing is it takes a vision. You know, Hezekiah stands up as king, and he looks around at a nation, his own nation that's not worshiping God. And then he looks north to Israel, to the ten tribes. This is beautiful. A lot of those people have been taken away into captivity. Some of them were left there. They've been left without a leader. They've been left. They, they don't have any spirituality because they've been trained to worship idols. But Hezekiah looked at those people and said, they're, they're family. They're, they're Jewish people. And so, you know what he could have said? He, because there had been tension between Israel and Judah for years. Hezekiah could have said, hey, they're getting what they deserved. But you know what he did? He sent messengers up into Israel that had just been smashed by Assyria. And here's what he said. Oh, Israelites, come back to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he can return to you. Don't repeat the sins of your ancestors who turned their backs on God. You can see the ruins all around you. Don't be pig-headed as your ancestors were. Clasp God's outstretched hand. Come to his temple of holy worship. Serve God, your God. You'll no longer be in danger of his hot anger if you come back to God. Your God is gracious and kind and won't snub you. Come back and he will welcome you with open arms. See, Hezekiah had a vision of bringing together the whole nation of the Jewish people and bringing them back, not in a political sense. Oh, God knows our, the solutions that America needs aren't political. He wanted to bring them back in a, in a, in a worshipful sense. He wanted to bring them back to God. Well, what happened? Look at this. In 2 Chronicles 30, verse 10, most of the people just laughed at the runners, and some made fun of them. However, some people humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Uh, I guess this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite part of the story. Hezekiah had a vision. 
He had a vision of what could happen if the mess got cleaned up and people could come back to God. And he sent out these messengers to Israel, and he said, please come home. Just, you don't, you, there's, there's no cost. There's no, there's no animosity. Just please come on back to God. Let's come back and let's worship God together. And yet when the runners go out there, even the people in Israel who are in all kinds of problems, they just say to the runners, get out of here. And so here's, can you imagine this conversation between Hezekiah's advisor in charge of this project and Hezekiah? The advisor says, sir, we sent people out, but they just laughed at us. And Hezekiah would say, but some came. Yeah, I know some came, but most people laughed at us. Hezekiah said, some came. I just described New Spring Church in two words. You say, Mark, you know at the university, they laugh at you guys. I I know that. Mark, most, most people will never walk into New Spring's doors. And, and you know, just, it's not politically correct, and it's not, it's not how people are thinking today. And this idea of Jesus and God and all that old stuff, do you realize most people are laughing? Yeah, but some will come. Some will come. You came. I came. Here's the thing. Heaven's not, <laughs> heaven's not the result of a poll. God doesn't poll people and say, do you think this or think that? And God says, okay, the numbers, the poll numbers show. No. There's a way. There's a way to heaven that was chosen. Hezekiah, he understood that a lot of people were going to laugh, but some came. One of the oldest stories I remember from my childhood was the story of a bunch of starfish that were beached and they were all dying. Thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. And the kid was walking down along the beach, tossing starfish back into the water. And a man came by and saw what he was doing after watching for a little while. And he said, kid, what are you doing? He said, man, these starfish are on the beach and I'm throwing them back in the water so they'll live. And the guy said, wow, there's so many of them, you'll never get to all of them. The kid says, I know. Finally, the guy watched him for a little bit longer and he said, son, do you realize you're not making any difference? Kid picked up a starfish, threw it out in the water and said, made a difference to that one. That's what Hezekiah said. Maybe most are going to laugh, but some came, and they did come. Then there's the third thing that he teaches us about cleaning up a mess. Not only making a painfully honest assessment, having a vision of what could be if the mess got cleaned up, but Hezekiah followed through. You know, how many of us have had good intentions? We made a painfully honest assessment. We've said, I eat too much, and consequently, that's why I weigh too much. You connected the dots, and you had a vision of what you could be if you were healthy. Oh, but that following through, right? Well, look at this. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 1, they smashed all the sacred pillars. That's the pillars of the idols. They smashed all the sacred pillars, chopped down the Asherah poles, and removed the pagan shrines and altars. Now, why is that important? Because from time to time, there were kings of Judah that said, we need to get back to God. And they had these idols all over the country, but these idols were worth a fortune. They had been made out of oftentimes priceless materials. They had priceless carvings. And so what happened was, instead of smashing the idols, they moved the idols. It's like, wow, you know, I Gosh, king, I know we need to come back to God, but man, those idols cost a lot of money. And there's Jezreel over there. He worked on that one for seven years, and he might feel offended if we, let's just move it. Do you ever move junk? Like you're cleaning your house? 
And you get, a, you get the room clean, but now your garage is a mess. <laughs> or in Kansas, your basement is a mess, right? You, you didn't clean out the junk, you just moved it. You know, it's like, well, and because here's the thing, especially guys are bad about this. You know, your wife says, hey, we, we, we just got to like, we got to get rid of a bunch of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, I may, I may need that fishing rod someday. We haven't fished with in 20 years, but you know, you just never know. And so Hezekiah said, you know what? We're not going to just move the trash. We're going to smash it. We're going to smash the idols. If you decide you're going to clean up, and the, clean up the mess in your life, listen to me, please. Junk's got to go. If you're into pornography, it's not, well, I'm going to find some less offensive pornography. I mean, here's the thing. If you got junk in your life, smash it. I mean, it needs to go. You need to be finished with it. I love that about Hezekiah. When you clean up the mess, junk has to go. And then Hezekiah understands it's one thing to clean up the mess. It's something else, and this is huge. It's something else to position yourself in a place where God can bless you. Throughout all history, even till today, God's people have brought the first 10% of their income to God. Why, why do you do that? Because first of all, God says do it. Secondly, God says if you do it, that he'll bless you and you'll have far more than the 10% would have ever been. But most of all, it's a way of valuing God. And so Hezekiah knows they need desperately to be blessed by God. It is critical that the people position themselves in a place where God can bless them. So look at this. The people of Israel responded immediately and generously by bringing the first of their crops and grain. They brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they possessed. And it's beautiful because the people brought so much tithe that they actually had to build additional storehouses on the temple. Oh, there's more. You can read it. But you get the picture. Hezekiah chose. We're going to take this path. We're going to take the path of following God. We're going to clean up the mess. The stuff that needs to go, needs to go. We're going to position ourselves where God can bless us by bringing the tithe and valuing God with what is his. So look at this. In 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1, the Bible says, And then, after this exemplary track record, this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and attacked Judah. Wow. I'm looking for that, and they lived happily after where is that? I mean, like, wow, he chose to follow God. He cleaned up all the mess, and what did he get for it? Show him what they've won, boys and girls. He gets attacked by the king of Assyria. Look at this. Assyria came and attacked Judah. Somebody could be here and say, well, Mark, you just convinced me there's no benefit in serving God. I mean, this guy did everything right, and he got in trouble. Let me just tell you something. This will help you. Assyria was coming anyway. The northern kingdom was just in the way. And when the northern kingdom went away, and Hezekiah knew they were coming. He knew they were coming when he became king. He knew they were coming when he chose to follow God. He knew they were coming when he cleaned up the mess. Here's the thing, guys. Trouble's coming one way or the other. We live in a broken world with people who make bad choices, and trouble is coming. But here is the beautiful thing in the third lesson that we close with today. Now that God's power is on him, Hezekiah is able to navigate trouble. Now, I'm going to do a lot of reading right now because I want you to feel this from the Bible. 2 Chronicles 32, verse 6. Hezekiah rallied the people saying, Be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated by the king of Assyria and his troops. There are more on our side than there are on their side. 
You know, if I'm one of Hezekiah's subjects, I'm like, sir, are you smoking something? <laughs> you saying we got more than they got? First of all, they're bigger than we are. They've basically taken the known world at this moment. I mean, they're Assyrians as far as the world can see. There are a lot more of them than they are of us. But Hezekiah goes on. He only has a bunch of mere men. We have God to help and to fight for us. So when he said that, look at this. Morale surged. Hezekiah's words put steel in their spines. Well, that's a great start. Hey, you remember when you were in high school, some of you still there, so in college? You know, you know, if you got basketball game, football game, you remember the pep rallies? Man, pep rallies, everybody get together. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to kill them. You know, we're going we're gonna, to gonna beat them. And everybody's cheering, and they walk out of there thinking, wow, we could, you know, we could beat the Green Bay Packers today. Well, that's good. And spirit's important. And in this case, they needed to have that kind of confidence. But then there's the actual playing the game. So I want you to see what happened next. I mean, here's Sennacherib, just so you know, he's the king of Assyria. They now have brought their army. They have at least 185,000. They probably have way more. They have all these soldiers, and they're on Judah's border. And the people can see them coming. Now, Sennacherib... He really doesn't want to fight Judah. He wants to intimidate them into surrender. I mean, if you fight, that costs money. People get killed. So he's so, in, he, he's so been successful in defeating every other power around, he's just going to go and intimidate Judah into surrender. That's the point. Okay, here we go. First time. Later on, Sennacherib sent messengers to Jerusalem. You poor people. Do you think you're safe in that so-called fortress of Jerusalem? You're sitting ducks. Do you think Hezekiah will save you? Don't be stupid. Hezekiah has fed you a pack of lies when he says God will save us from the power of the king of Assyria. He's lying. Y'all going to end up dead. Do you have any idea what I and my ancestors have done to all the countries around here? Has there been a single God anywhere strong enough to stand up against me? Can you name one God among all the nations that either I or my ancestors have ravaged that so much has lifted up a finger against me? So what makes you think you will fare any better with your God? The messengers would come up to the wall of Jerusalem and shout up to the people standing on the wall, shouting their propaganda in Hebrew, trying to scare them into demoralized submission. What do you do if you're Hezekiah? You've made your choice to follow God. You've cleaned up the mess. You've told the people to be bold because God is on their side. You've had a wonderful pep rally. And then the Assyrians come, and in Hebrew, they're just demoralizing all the people. Well, the king of Assyria does something really cruel right now. He writes a letter to Hezekiah, to Hezekiah personally. And here's the letter. Here's part of it. He writes, verse 19, you're living in a world of make-believe, a pious fantasy. Do you think that mere words are any substitute for military strategy and troops now that you revolted against me? How, who can you expect to help you? So be reasonable. Make a deal. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Be reasonable. Make a deal. Eve, make a deal with me. All you got to do is eat the fruit and you can be your own God. Make a deal. David, it's your next door neighbor. Woo, she's naked. Hot babe, huh? Hey, you're king. Make a deal. Jesus, you don't want to go to the cross. Command these stones to be made bread. You can do it. Make a deal. Hey, 
I know there are a lot of people that they, they don't know about you yet, but I know who you are. I saw you before the world was created. You're God. Man, you can do anything you want to do. Why don't you just jump off this high place and the angels will catch you and they'll so impress everybody. Make a deal. I tell you what, you don't want to die on a cross. Tell you what I'll do. You know I, I have all the kingdoms of the world, at least for right now. If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Make a deal. Every day of your life and my life, the enemy comes to and says, you don't really want to fight this battle. Make a deal. Sell short. Make a deal. Give in. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you just met the guy, but he wants sex. Make a deal. Maybe he'll love you. Yeah, it's not really honest, but you won't ever get caught. Make a deal. And I, I love this. Hezekiah takes the letter. And he goes down to the house of God. There are a lot of stuff I want to see when I get to heaven on video. This is in top five. Hezekiah takes the letter and he lays it on the altar before God and he says, God, look what he wrote us. Dig? Look what he wrote us. And then he began to pray. And like it's been said, if this don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Look at this. You are the one and only God, sovereign over all kings of the earth, maker of heaven, maker of earth. Because uh, uh, the king of Assyria said, what makes you think your God's any different? And Hezekiah said, God, you're, you're the only true God, and you made heaven and earth. Open your ears, God. Listen. Open your eyes. Look at this letter that Sennacherib has sent, a brazen insult to the living God. Now look at this, one of my favorite places of the Bible. The facts are true. You know, sometimes Christians get accused of living in a world of make-believe. In fact, Sennacherib accused Hezekiah of that. Hezekiah embraced reality. He said, it's true, God. The other nations weren't able to stand up to this guy. It's true. Almost all of them have gone into captivity. The facts are true, God. The kings of Assyria have laid waste countries and kingdoms. But now, O oh God, save us from raw Assyrian power. Make all the kingdoms of the earth know that you're God, the one and only God. So now, get this in your mind. At least 200,000 Assyrian soldiers outside the city waiting to lay siege or attack. Hezekiah in the temple praying. You know what's interesting? When you study the history of Israel, God often delivered his people militarily, but oftentimes there would be some sort of, there'd be some sort of mechanism for it. With Gideon, they broke the, broke the lanterns and the pitchers and sounded the trumpets and the Midianites started fighting each other, and there was a time, <laughs> this is one of the most interesting things, I wish we had time to cover it in Kings and Queens, there was this army that was besieging Israel, and God just made the sound of an army, it was the first special effects in history, I guess, and they all got scared, and they laughed, you know, you realize this time God didn't, God just steps in personally, look at this. It so happened that very night that an angel of God came and massacred 185,000 Assyrians. When the people of Jerusalem got up the next morning, there it was, a whole camp of corpses. God just said, I'm going to take care of business. And he did. This is the Christian life. You make your choice. Maybe in a service like this, you decide I'm going to follow Jesus. 
And that's a gift. That won't cost you anything to make a choice. And then you go home to a mess. And corner by corner and room by room, you begin to clean it up. And that's something that will keep you busy the rest of your life. But you know what you do at that moment? You put yourself in a place where you can pray like Hezekiah. See, most of us don't pray until we get into trouble. And God will hear us. But it won't be like, it won't be anything at all like you've been positioned for trouble. There's a verse, and this is not, this is not from the Old Testament stories of the kings. This is from the Psalms. It was in my private devotions a couple of weeks ago, but I read it and it just, it, it said this for me. Though I am surrounded by troubles, how many of us are surrounded by trouble today? Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. And here's the line I like so much. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. That's, that's Hezekiah, isn't it? That's his story. He had everything stacked against him, and yet God worked out his plans in Hezekiah's life. I'm about to celebrate 42 years of, of being a pastor. I was thinking on the way over here, I preached my first revival 45 years ago this week. I was 16. I've been through just about every stage. I mean, I remember when I was the boy preacher and the young prodigy, and I remember when I was a young pastor and in the middle part of my career when we were making some really, really bold moves here at the church, and now I'm an elder statesman. I'm kind of wondering how I got from boy preacher to elder statesman. You know what's different? When I was young, I preached the Bible because I believed it was true. When I was young, I didn't... I hadn't seen God do a lot of the things I was preaching about, but I believed he would do them. And now at this stage in my life, I've lived it and I've seen him. And I have watched God work out his plan for my life. Many of you watching today, you, you came in here thinking that you need to work out your plan for your life. That's a disaster. What you need and what you really want is for God to work out his plans in your life. I want to close today by taking you back to where we started, where Hezekiah made his choice. It won't cost you anything to make the choice. See, here's what happened. You and I are broken, flawed sinners. We know it. My word, I, I can't even be perfect for 30 minutes. I'm always saying something I'm disappointed to hear myself say. I'm always doing something that I'm embarrassed that I did. I'm always falling short of where I want to be. I mean, as far as being perfect, you know, people say, well, I'm just, I, think, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. I sure don't. I mean, for me, you have to be perfect to go to heaven. I wouldn't even want to take the best 10 minutes of my life and put it before God. But God loved me anyway, and he loved you. You know, people are always telling me, all religions are alike. That's got to be one of the stupidest expressions in the English language. I always know people haven't looked at them very much. 
Because the truth be told, there's only one religion. It's not even a religion, it's a relationship that says that God loved us anyway and he came into the world and lived a perfect life on our behalf, pinch hit, pinch run for us. And then died on a cross, taking our sins upon him so that he could give his righteousness to us. And it's a gift. Who could say no to that? If I'm talking to anyone here today inside the auditoriums here, watching online or watching on television, and you just say, Mark, I I think I really get it now. I mean, I don't understand anything about it. A lot of don't understand, but I, I get that it's a gift, that Jesus bought it for me, and all I have to do is ask, you can do what Hezekiah did, this wonderful king in Jerusalem, when he made this great choice, you can make the same choice. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and, and pray. And if you've already made the choice, then pray for others who are making the choice. But I'm going to say a prayer to God, and these aren't magic words, but these are words that will reach out to him and ask for that gift. And I'll pray them slowly so you can decide if you want to own them. Dear God, I am a sinner. And I can't fix myself. But I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me your child. Now help me to clean up the mess in my life. But I thank you for forgiving me today and saving me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, you can go to any info center at New Spring. They're all around the campus. And just say, I prayed with Mark. They will give you a bag. It's got a brand new Bible, just like I preach from. It's got a book I wrote, some helpful information. I promise you, they won't hassle you, stalk you. They, they won't even want, want your Gmail account, okay? Just... Just tell them I pray with Mark and they'll give it to you. Thanks for being here. Happy 4th. We'll see you next weekend.